When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, this is Mick Jones of Foreigner, and you're listening to Pantheon Podcast. Pantheon Podcast presents Deeper Digs with host and rock and roll archaeologist Christian Swain. Music, culture, technology, and rock and roll. Now, with the show. There must be some kind of way out of here, said the choker to the thief. There's too much confusion. I can't get no relief. Yes, folks, some of the most famous lyrics in all of rock and roll, uh, written by the bard and performed most famously by our subject one last time this November, Jimi Hendrix. Two writers were approaching and the wind began to howl. Yeah, little nod to Hendrix, little nod to Dylan. Uh, what a great song. Coming up is our first three-person interview. Well, the first time I've put three people together in an interview, I should say. Uh, Billy Cox, Juma Sultan, both played with Jimmy. And finally, we will have the man of the hour himself, Jimmy Blue. The cat, those guys say, is the closest thing to Jimmy they've ever seen. Okay, a little business first. Really, uh, the business is, I just want to be thankful. Of course, it's Thanksgiving, right? It's November. It's close to Jimi Hendrix's birthday. First, thank you, all diggers. Okay, thank you for what is shaping up to be a fantastic year for us here at Pantheon. Yeah, pandemic shamdemic. I, I know, I know it's really bad for a lot of people. You know, and, and just so you know, I'm doing everything I can to stop the spread and just model some good behavior. Uh, I, don't, I don't want to get anyone sick if I have it, uh, whether it's asymptomatic or not. So it's masks up whenever I go out the door and, you know, social distancing in any environment, you know, and I'll, I'll tell you, I'll be honest, even our normal Thanksgiving celebration, we'd be down to just two people in our house. Um, that's, I've never done this before. I've always had people around. Uh, we've gone somewhere. We've had people with us, uh, in my entire life. It's strange. I get it. It's totally weird, but we just got to do this one time. We just, we got to, uh, I hope you're all doing similar because, you know, I, 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 don't, I just don't want to selfishly lose any of my fans and listeners. All right. Is that so much to ask? You know, be safe. All right. So weirdly, even in a pandemic, we at Pantheon have grown tremendously this year. If any of you are paying attention to the main feed or the website, you know, pantheonpodcast.com or our social media, you will see how many new shows we now have in our little corner of the pod world. Over 60 and growing. Plus, we're about to go into high gear on some very big things for all of us, including you. Uh, the ride is going to be excellent, as uh, Bill and Ted say. Next, um, I want to thank everyone in the Pantheon Podcast Network, both new and old, 
now over some 100 people. Some of you have been with us for a few years now, and some of you are new to the Pantheon Network. All of you have been chosen because we all love music above all else, and it shows. Because of you, we grow, and without you, we are nothing. Collectively, we are everything. So thank you, hosts, producers, support staff, social media managers, network producers, writers, editors, engineers. It just, it's a great team. And I am just, I, I wake up every day just saying, wow, all of this is happening. And I, I really, really am appreciative of that. Finally, I want to give a shout out to the two people that asked me to put this series of Hendrix shows together. Gwen Toline of GHT Communications and Mike Gotch at Recreation Concerts. Thank you both for allowing me this fantastic opportunity. It was a blast digging deep into the Hendrix camp and meeting so many greats along the way. I am, again, humbled and very appreciative. Thanks for uh, putting this responsibility in my hands. So we began, we began with drummer Kenny Aronoff, who said Hendrix was his religion, coupled with author Corey Washington, whose new book reflects on Hendrix's re-embrace uh, by the black community of the man. Next was drummer Carmine Apice, who supported Jimmy several times while in Vanilla Fudge, coupled with percussionist Gerardo Velez, who was at Woodstock in his first professional gig. And we had blues guitarist John Hammond, who had Jimmy and Clapton in his band at the same time, uh, coupled with guitarist from Living Color, the amazing Vernon Reed, who was inspired by Hendrix um, and now has his own Gypsy era tribute band. I want to thank all of them one more time. Okay, that's it. That's it for the business. Are you ready for the show? Friday, November 27th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Kiss the Sky presents a live stream of their annual Jimi Hendrix birthday bash direct from the historic Bearsville Theater in Woodstock, New York. See why Rolling Stone magazine has said, yes, believe the hype, this show lives up to it. And why Access TV crowned Kiss the Sky featuring left-handed guitar virtuoso and one of our guests today, Jimmy Blue. The world's greatest tribute to Jimi Hendrix. Kiss the Sky recreates Hendrix's most iconic concert moments in full replica wardrobe and gear so accurate that they've had the honor of playing with all surviving members of Hendrix's own band, including Billy Cox, another guest with us today, The Last Gypsy, BearsvilleTheater.com or Kiss the Sky tribute page on Facebook is where you go to find more information. It's a free concert, folks. All you got to do is donate if you feel up to it. A tip is all you need, and you can enjoy uh, this wonderful concert on Friday night, uh, November 27th, which would have been Jimi Hendrix's 78th birthday. All right, let's do this one more time. There must be some kind of way out of here. Say the joker to the thief. There's too much confusion. I can't get no relief 
as I said, three amazing interviews for you. So I'm going to be as brief as I can get uh, so we can get to the good stuff. First up is probably Jimmy's oldest collaborator and friend, someone who may have known Jimmy the best, and that is bassist Billy Cox. Billy is best known for performing with Jimi Hendrix. Cox is the only surviving musician to have regularly played with Hendrix, first with his experimental group that backed Hendrix at Woodstock, formerly referred to as the Gypsy Sun and Rainbows, followed by the trio with uh, drummer Buddy Miles that recorded the live Bandit Gypsies album, and lastly, the Cry of Love tour trio with Mitch Mitchell back on drums. You know, Cox continues to perform dates with the Band of Gypsies Experience and the Experience Hendrix Tour, as well as sitting in with the Kiss of Sky uh, guys several times. In addition to Hendrix, he's either been a member of the house or touring band or recorded sessions for Sam Cooke, Slim Harpo, Joe Simon, Charlie Daniels, John McLaughlin, Rufus Thomas, Carla Thomas, Lou Rawls, Etta James, Jackie Wilson, and Little Richard. Born in Wheeling, West Virginia, Billy Cox was raised in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Cox met Jimi Hendrix when they were serving in the Army at Fort Campbell, Kentucky in 1961. We'll talk a little bit about that. While using the bathroom at Service Club Number 1 during a sudden rainstorm, he heard guitar playing inside. Impressed with what he heard, he introduced himself, told Hendrix he played bass, and they were jamming soon after. They became and remained fast friends. They left the military around the same time, and they played clubs around Clarksville, Tennessee, finally moving to Nashville. They formed a group called the King Casuals. They played at Nashville clubs, mostly the Del Morocco, and occasionally outlying gigs in the Southeast. And then Jimmy parted ways and began to move up the circuit with folks like Little Richard before he was discovered by Chaz Chandler while playing with one of our previous guests, John Hammond. In 1969, several months before bassist Noel Redding left the Jimi Hendrix experience, Hendrix called his old friend Cox, who joined him in New York as his studio bassist. Following the breakup of the experience, Cox performed with Hendrix's experimental group, informally called Gypsy Sun and Rainbows. The group played at Woodstock and two low-key New York gigs. Hendrix formed another short-lived group with Cox and Buddy Miles that recorded Band of Gypsies, the live album that he owned former manager Ed Chalpin as part of a legal settlement. Following their demise, Cox recorded and toured with Hendrix and Mitch Mitchell for the Cry of Love tour when promoters sometimes billed them as the Jimi Hendrix experience. Cox contributed most of the bass parts on the first group of posthumously released Hendrix albums, including The Cry of Love in 1971, Rainbow Bridge also in 71, War Heroes in 72, and Loose Ends in 74. Most of the tracks from these albums were consolidated as First Rays of the New Rising Sun in 1997, which is the most complete attempt to present Hendrix's fourth studio album. Um, See Hendrix's 
posthumous discography uh, for a complete list. Uh, additionally, Cox appears on many live albums and films from the Cry of Love tour, and of course, is a part of the new CV, CD and DVD box set release of Live in Maui. Uh, by the way, our uh, friend uh, Jeff Slate wrote the liner notes for that one. Today, Billy Cox owns a video production company. He's produced numerous blues and a myriad of gospel shows. He uh, co-authored the books Jimi Hendrix Sessions and Ultimate Hendrix with John McDermott and Eddie Kramer. Cox has been the recipient of numerous awards and honors, including... Uh, these uh, in, in 2009, he was inducted into the Musicians Hall of Fame. He received the Founders Award in 2010, given by Microsoft co-founder Paul Allen. Uh, rest in peace, Paul Allen. In 2011, Cox was inducted into the West Virginia Music Hall of Fame. He released Old School Blue Blues in 2011 and continues to tour with the Experience Hendrix Tour each year and his own band of Gypsies Experience. Okay. Let's get to it. Let's meet the amazing Billy Cox. Billy Cox, welcome to Deeper Digs. How are you doing today? Nothing to brag about, nothing to complain about. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> oh, waking up every day is a is a good one, right? Yeah, six feet above ground. That's right. Yeah, keep it that way, my friend. Keep it that way. So, you know, uh, uh, we we got to start with the big giant question. Uh, I'm pretty much asked anybody who's uh, in the music business for the last eight months. You know the the COVID question. I mean, it it just it's it stopped music in its tracks. It's the first thing I've ever seen, and and I'm sure this may be the the first thing you've seen that's affected music such a, across the board in in your you know gosh sixty years of playing, huh? In my lifetime. Yeah. What what do you think about all of this, and and how do we get out of it? Well, it is what it is. This is like. Uh of the plagues that have uh, ramp rampaged the, the, the world at one time or another. It comes and it goes, and the, the, uh, it affects a few, and a few it doesn't affect, and then it goes away. We just have to learn to uh, weather the storm, yeah. do what we have to do, try to keep ourselves and our families safe, do the right thing, and it'll go away. Yeah, 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 yeah. These things, these things come and go. I, I hear you. Uh, uh, but, you know, uh, you know, we, we've seen plagues, you know, mo most recently. I mean, other than, you know, Zika or H1N1, you know, I, I think back on the HIV crisis of the 80s and the 90s and and that, you know, that decimated, uh, you know, a, a, a community. Uh, and, and, and it's almost like this hit has hit music 
more than anything else I've ever seen in my life. I mean, nobody's touring. There's, you know, there's, there's, there, there's no way to experience what the most important part about music is. And that's that live experience. Wouldn't you say? And that's true. You know, when I was coming up, it was the tuberculosis TB and they had yeah. TB sanitary and we didn't think they were ever going, they was ever going to go away, but yeah, polio is another one. Yeah. Yeah. Polio was polio was another. We had the uh, that afflicted Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who was our president. A lot of times he took the, his pictures when he was standing up and didn't look like he was the other half the over half the country didn't even uh, didn't even know he was sick like that. Right. And uh, he developed right. that polio. And so just like I say, it's it's, it's nothing to I, nothing to really worry about. I mean, if you sit and concentrate on it, yeah, it's something to worry about. But I just you know it'll go away. It will just take keep state. Uh, keep your mask on, stay six feet away, and try not to put yourself in comp- un- uncompromising positions. And hey, hey, it'll go away. Yeah, yeah. I don't worry about. It. No. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's talk about uh, you and music. And uh, you know, uh, I, I think you, you were born in West Virginia, but you grew up in Pittsburgh. You know, is is that where you kind of first decided that uh, maybe music might be uh, something of interest to you? No, it was in, uh, uh, in in Wheeling because I took piano lessons and then I from there went to the violin and you know and I was searching for my that because my mother played was a concert pianist and my uncles played one uncle played trumpet one played I mean played one played soprano one alto saxophone mm. and I was around music constantly they had right. the light combo uh-huh. so my mom was classically trained but she could could play a little bit of that. Uh, jitterbug movie music that's what they called them back in the day yeah. so i was around music constantly constantly uh and, and I, uh, it became a what made you decide to pick up the bass um i think uh, as my, my my last semester of uh, high school and i had a little time to spare and i'd had all my you know all my uh uh everything i needed to, to graduate get out of there but I had that uh, one one semester. I had a, a little time, so I uh, volunteered to go into the uh, the the orchestra. And upright was my thing because I was impressed by a bass player that I heard uh, that played with uh, Lloyd Price, and I heard that bass reverberating through the universe. And I said, "Man, that's it!" Oh yeah. And uh, that and I became a that part of that bass, and the bass became a part of me. Oh, you you found the instrument of your life is what you're saying then. But however, uh, I didn't pursue it much. I fellow down the street had a, uh, I think a, a, a silver tone, and, and uh, I played with his a little bit. And I, it was over. I went to the military, and I was heading in toward another uh, phase of my life, and uh, I heard this young man playing in the <laughs> who coming from a, <laughs> coming in the, from in the a, bathroom, uh, right? In the in the, the, the you were in the the hundred and first, if I remember right. In the hundred first, you were coming from a movie, and we were all running for cover that night because it, it was raining, and I wound up on the doorstep of Service Club Number One, at which time the window was up maybe about a couple inches. We were leaning up against the building, and, and it, it was a practice room, and I heard this guitar plucking. In its infancy, and I went in and uh, I told. Well, by the way, before I got in, I told the guy that said that's pretty unique. And he says, "Man, it sounds like a bunch of mess." Well, he wasn't listening with the same ear I was listening to. I went in and introduced myself. He said, "My name is Billy Henry." I said, "Well, I play a little bass." He said, "Well, turn in your ID card and it get get your bass." And I 
one of the electric bass and the amp and do some jamming. We started jamming. I like what I heard. He liked what he heard. We got a drummer, and the rest is history. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. I mean, you're one of one of the earliest uh, members of uh, what ends up being the multiple people that played in uh, one of Jimi Hendrix's bands. You're one of the first there, my friend. So this is this is before he gets out on the the Chitlin circuit and starts playing with uh, with people, and you know, including Little Richard. Uh, and uh, you're 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 right there uh, helping to develop uh, the guy, huh? Right there, helping. He helped develop me, and I helped develop him. You know, right, we were right. compadres okay. in this, this this evolution of music. Yeah. So now, now, if I remember right, you you guys did kind of go your separate ways uh, for a little bit, and uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, Jimi Hendrix is. I, I, I did. Did you know him as Jimi Hendrix back then, or was it was it uh, Jimmy James, or I uh, guess you know he went through through a couple of uh, uh, monikers there. Yeah, well, it wasn't like that. We we got together on the and we got a drummer, and uh, we started gigging on post. And uh, so I, I I terminated where I was and got a job in uh, at the service club. You know, there um, I learned in life early early on in life that there there are no rules, just exceptions. Yeah. And so I <laughs> I left. <laughs> that's good. That's that's a, that's a good way to look at it. Yeah, so that's how I look at it. There, there weren't are no rules, just accepting. So most people, when you get in the military, you stay where they put you. Well, sometimes you don't want to be where you are, so right. you want to move. So, right. it's a, right. But you got to go through the proper procedures in order to get where you want to go. So I went through the proper procedures and wound up managing service club number two in the daytime. And it for, afforded us the opportunity to practice all of the time. I came out of that infantry, and I'm glad I did because that was a – you know, it was, it was a tumultuous time, and uh, Vietnam was just in its infancy. And Lord yeah. have mercy. Yeah, you you, uh, you, you missed you missed it. Luckily, you missed it on the good side before all the death I and destruction. It. Yes, I yes I did because I I just wasn't supposed to be in that. Yeah. And uh, but I, I I respect all the guys who went and had to do what they had to do. Oh, of course, know? of course, of course. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, and uh, and by the way, thank you for your service uh, as as well. So so of course yeah. of course you know famously Jimmy uh, washed out. Uh, uh, I think you stayed and 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 went through the whole process. And uh, no, and, no, you did you oh, leave no, too? No, or no. You left early too, huh? No, 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 no. You got the wrong information. Someone has told you something different. We got out. I, 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 he got out a month before I did, but he had got discharged. And I was waiting on my discharge, but meanwhile, we were working in a, a club. We had done, I had rigged it up where we had all most of the gigs on post. And then on the weekend, sometimes we worked at this place called the Pink Poodle in Clarksville. Okay. And so we wound up, after we got out, uh, our, he and his girlfriend, me and my girlfriend, we rented a little house in the back of the club, and we worked as the house band for the Pink Poodle in uh Clarksville, Tennessee. In fact, that was owned by um James Hooker, who owned a funeral uh home there and one funeral home in, in Nashville. And uh we uh worked there for a, a year or two. And then finally these guys from Nashville came and said, Man, we hear you guys are about the best band east of the mighty Mississippi. We got a club in Nashville with here. Look we're we're looking for uh uh, a house band. And so we went down uh, on our, we were off on Sunday and Monday, we went down that Monday 
and applied for the job and we got it. So we wound up uh, playing it, being the house band at the uh, Del Morocco in Nashville. And then we, they, they owned the uh, next door. Uh, it was Joyce's house of glamour and upstairs they had six, uh, you know, rooms. So uh, we added pieces to the band. Next thing you know, we're the house band. And, and it's, it's a long story. I could keep you, uh, focused in on that for the next half an hour. So we won't talk about it. But anyhow, make long story short, we, you know, after about a, a while, we maybe a year or so, we disbanded. And uh, Jimmy was searching for his his future. Yeah. And uh, it took a lot of work. Uh, you know, fate are the cards you dealt with birth, but destiny is what you do with those cards. And he knew he'd gonna, he was going to have to apply himself to get to that point musically where he could you know focus in on his destiny and he did that yeah oh he he certainly did uh pissed off uh, several people along the way uh you know most famously getting fired from uh little richard's band uh for 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 showing up little richard imagine how hard that's got to be well yeah i get it take a little richard to tell that story and he told it time (laughs) time You know, I could, I can't tell that story. Little Richard would have to tell that story, but Jimmy was good at what he did yeah. because he knew it takes patience. You know, like I say, fate of the cards, delicate birth, the destiny is what you do with them, but, but you have to apply yourself. You got to lose a lot of grit, a lot of patience in order to, to, to really perfect uh, your skills. And mm-hmm. Jimmy knew it, it, it so every day it was, it, it, it dropped, and on the gigs, dropping picks, breaking strings over and over and over again, phrasing and stuff. In fact, he made me a better bass player too, because we practiced day and night whenever we could, you know. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner. And Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. I've heard that over and over that, uh, you know, he, he was a real workhorse that the, the, the distractions, you know, were, were minimal and he really did focus on the music. Yeah. Cause he knew that's all he had and he had to, um, apply himself 
and uh, with with grit, passion, and perseverance in order for it to pay off. And he made it pay off. And that's what it takes. I saw him do it. And that's what it takes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you saw him from very early on, you know. And, and obviously, you know, your your ear perked up that uh, rainy night uh, when you you first met him. Uh, you know, and you know, did you did you did you? How long until you knew that? Wow, this guy's gonna like change the way people play guitar. I did not know that uh, until later on maybe a year or two, maybe two years later, because he had this persona. Whenever he played, he became part, his, 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 he, the guitar became a appenditure of him. And yeah. he became a part of the guitar. That's the best way I can explain it. Um, and just like I say, he applied uh, the grit, passion, and perseverance. And, 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 and that's, he walked down the street, we go to a movie, He's playing that guitar. Of course, he could, you know, hear it without an amp. Go in the movie, get a hot dog or something. He's eating and playing at the same time. All at the same time. Leave the movie. Yeah. He's he's leave the movie and he comes back down the street still playing. Everybody saw him playing that thing. They didn't understand uh, what he knew and what I knew ultimately. Uh, but he wound up being probably one of the best. There are two kind of guitar players: one, one, one who will admit being influenced by Jimi Hendrix, and one who will not admit <laughs> being influenced by Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> yeah, I I hear you. Uh, although uh, my experience is, uh, most are proud to admit that they have, in one way or another, been influenced by Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. So, so you you go and and you create your own life in music while Jimmy's on his uh, trip, uh, becoming uh, you know what ends up becoming the experience, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm working with the King Casuals here in town on a TV show they called the uh, uh, Night Train. Uh, it was through Channel Five here, and then we divided our time between that and working in Dallas Fort Worth at the uh, channel there because it was a color tape, but, uh, color uh, uh, TV station that, and the MC was Hall Salmon, who was the DJ with WLAC. Could be heard 50,000 watt channel uh, radio station that played R and B at nighttime along with Wolfman Jack out of Texas. Right. But you could hear what uh, WLAC across the United States. Cause at that time, 50,000 watts would take you all from California to New York. You had, down periods where the hexadine was going up and going down, but yet more times it was just on a flat plane where you could hear all that wonderful music. And so uh, Hoss Allen was the MC for the, the, uh, uh, the, 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 uh, the show in Texas. And then we'd come back and then on the weekends, we tried to arrange ourselves where we'd work the chilling circuit on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, in and out of the Nashville area, which is 150 miles radius, where in these little dives and dens and yeah. these little clubs mm-hmm. in, in Manchester, Winchester, Tullahoma, Bells, Tennessee, and all of that uh, on the weekend. So we, we, I did pretty good. I had an office upon uh, uh, 19th Avenue South, where I produced R&B and worked also with Hall Salmon's uh, production company, Rogan and Production. So I had it going on. I had a great, great life and doing some good things. But when Jimmy called me, I somehow just sold some stuff and what I couldn't sell, I gave away and went on to New York and 
the rest is uh, the history. Yeah, that's that, that's band of gypsies. So, you know, I might ask before we get there, uh, you know, uh, what what did you think when you heard, like, are, are you experienced for the first time? Uh, I didn't believe it was him. Guy brought the record off to my house. Your buddy made it. What bus made? He said, "Jimmy, I looked down and said, that's not him. It looks kind of like him. That ain't him. This guy's lost too much weight and got too much hair. Uh, <laughs> we put it on. We put it on and listened to us and that's him. No, you, oh, God you, do, you knew out. right away that the signature uh, licks were uh, were, were yes. being played. And, and you said, yes. oh, my yes. God, that is him, huh? Yeah, the Jimmy Hendrix signature lips. And by the way, you said, well, the band of gypsies. No, 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 no. I joined the Jimmy Hendrix experience. I took no ready. That's right. That, I'm experience. sorry. You're absolutely right. Yeah, no left and then, uh, and Jimmy called you, huh? Then, yeah, that's right. No, no was out. I was in. And then before, I mean, we did some stuff as experience. And then after that, the, the group in uh, Woodstock, that was the first big gig and it was called Gypsy Sons of Rainbow. Just, right. And he said, we're not but just a big bunch of gypsies. Yeah. And then after that, uh, then uh, came the band of gypsies. And then uh, then after the band of gypsies was disbanded, I went on with the group, did European tour and, local, and, and United States tours as the experience. Here's a quick word from our sponsors. We'll be back in a bit. And now back to the program. Yeah, yeah, because there were some contractual uh, obligations, I think, uh, that exactly. he had to follow, and and so so you took Noel's position when, when that first time Noel left, but but you played with Mitch Mitchell as well uh, as uh, uh, as Buddy Miles. So uh, you know, I guess first let's talk about that Woodstock experience. What what did you think about that crazy weekend? It wasn't necessarily crazy. It was my generation. I don't think my generation was crazy, but maybe you might have, maybe you might differ, but, uh, they were free. Uh, they were for freedom. The flower powers, the people were about peace, love, harmony, getting along, uh, and doing their things. And they weren't really a, a mob a vicious no, or, no. uh, they, there was, a, it was the, the flower power. There was peace. There was love and harmony. Yeah. And you, you know, regardless of what all you good heard, stuff, all good stuff. Well, it wasn't all good stuff. There was her ups and downs, but at for the utmost, it was, it was about peace and love and harmony. That's what it was about. The yeah. flower children, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, so that's what that was all about. But that, uh, that show itself, uh, you know, it's looms large in the history of rock and roll. Yeah. And that's because the promoters, were totally unprepared for what had happened. There was an onslaught of, of people that came from Europe, Asia, Africa, Australia, New Zealand, and the outer banks of the United States of America. And there were so many people till they didn't really Christ the party. They were just trying to get into the party. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so they were, uh, the, the, the promoters didn't know what to do. Well, when you do a thing like that, always prepare for the worst. Right. And so the worst, too many people. And uh, so that's what happened really with Woodstock. But however, it became a peaceful city. Babies were born. Mm -hmm. I guess they're a case of ODs and people just couldn't take too much of that stuff. 
Yeah, there were and, there were three um, there were three casualties, uh, you know. But I mean, yeah. you 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 get a half a million people uh, anywhere, and you know you're going to have something like that. That's right, you are definitely so. But all in all, it came out as a as a great festival, and uh, the, the the entertainment was superb. They had the top of the uh, the the draw of artists of that day and that time. I they mean, certainly you know. did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll ask, what do you think of your opening act, Shanana? Shanana was great. I mean, all those groups. And I, I was a fan of Shanana, so oh, you know, and I, all the groups were great, from Sly to. Oh, now yeah. we didn't catch all the groups uh, that were there because we were our house was located five miles away. We had a place that we stayed at for about a month, and we could hear the 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 breeze bringing almost like the hexadine from the radio stations over to us, and you know all those groups sounded great. Oh yeah, there's our great. Oh yeah, there's you know. So um, that's what how I saw it, but we went on early in the morning at the last day because Jimmy was the top draw of yeah, the Yeah, he, he, he was the headliner uh, across the board. Uh, he was supposed to be, you guys were supposed to be, uh, you know, on, a, I think at like about 11 o'clock the night before, if I remember right. But uh, by then the schedule had all been but uh but discarded and uh and at the same time i think uh you know jimmy let um mike bloomfield and uh and shanana uh go ahead in front of him even though the promoter said hey we'll put you on now and he said no those those guys you know they paid their dues as well so you know let them play which i think is really cool mm-hmm. so you yeah. uh you guys get up or you know the sun's up uh you know the the crowd's beginning to wane a little bit and uh you put on one hell of a show. I mean, it's a legendary show. Uh, you know, uh, I, I guess the question must be asked about, uh, you know, the anthemic and iconic version of Star Spangled Banner. It's always asked. If you listen carefully, you will hear the bass player, whoever that guy was, <laughs> <laughs> play the first five notes five or six notes and something told him says all right buddy i think you you you, you got to lay out now because yeah. there's something happening that you never practiced for and you don't know how it's going to go so you'll hear me play those notes and i laid out and lord have mercy what a, what a most incredible rendition of the star spangled banner i've ever heard and haven't heard it like that since no no, uh, I, there's a reason why it's so iconic. It um, it has a lot to say, uh, and it can say a lot of things to a lot of people uh, lot when of they people listen are. to it. Yeah, it's pretty amazing, pretty amazing. So, um, you know, obviously we lost your dear friend way, way too early. Um, yeah. So I might ask, you know, if he could, uh, you know, go uh, work on that uh, that RV of yours uh, today, you know, where, where do you think he would be? Light years ahead of everyone else, more more than in, in anything, I think that he would be. Um, you know, Jimmy Hendrix is as relevant today in the 21st century as he was in the 20th century. Yeah. Uh, because uh, he wrote in the now. Uh, 
He impacted lives in many untold ways to the soldiers and the rice paddies and jungles and Vietnam and brothers and sisters. Oh, man. Yeah, Machine oh, Gun, lovers. you know, just amazing songs. Yeah. Yeah. Lovers of Peace who, 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 who and Justice and for those musicians who were looking for a new direction in music to the countless young people who uh, held on to our music because so many of them told me that that was all they had. Mm-hmm. And he spoke mm-hmm. to those empty places in their lives. Uh, the Gypsies Today or whatever, Hendrix, our music, the compositions, the lyrics, and the musicianship is beyond par of anything that is even recorded today, which means uh, uh, he will always be in the now because we were about music, excellence, musical excellence, expression, and soul all wrapped into the body of spirit. Well, it was it was a special time, um, you know. Uh, you know, we, we we talk a lot about how, uh, you know, the culture uh, was changing, uh, the technology was improving rapidly, right in that mm-hmm. period of time. You know, uh, you know, Brown v. Board of Education, nineteen fifty four, the Civil Rights, Voting Rights uh-huh. Acts in nineteen sixty five, sixty four, sixty five. You know, open kicked open the door and allowed people to you know congregate together and and develop uh, you know art uh, together. And at the same time, this technology, which you know, let's face it, a lot of it kind of started with World War Two, and it just went and improved and improved and improved. And, you know, the electric guitar was fairly a relatively new instrument. It is definitely the sound of industrial America of the 20th century. It all just kind of comes together in that moment. And, you know, you and Hendrix and, you know, all of that class of uh, rock and rollers, you know, were, were able to invent this stuff. And, you know, usually those are the ones that get the great credits of moving society forward. Mm-hmm. So you yeah, know. but Jimmy's music was spiritual too, and that which listen here, that which is spiritual multiplies and never divides. Right, 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 right. And and then then we go to the band of gypsies. He, he, he left a, a lasting impact on rock, funk, R and B, hip hop, reggae, jazz, and blues. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny. Uh, you know, we just lost, uh, you know, maybe the second you know, greatest guitar player of all time, uh, Eddie Van Halen, who, you know, was more than willing to say Jimi Hendrix uh, certainly influenced him. And, you know, the, when, when Edward passed, you know, a lot of people talked about that, that, you know, the two greatest guitar players in the history of rock and roll are those two guys. Mm-hmm. Would, would you agree with that? That's right. But two, don't forget, there are two kind of guitar players: one who will admit being influenced by Jimmy, <laughs> one who will not admit being influenced by Jimmy. And we know which one are the liars, right? 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 Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the, you know, the relevancy of Jimmy is is, is obvious and palpable uh, uh, out there. And you know, one thing you can uh, guarantee in almost every town in America is a Jimi Hendrix tribute band. Uh, you know, on uh, on November 27th, which would have been uh, Jimi Hendrix's uh, 78th birthday, um, he, uh, you know, we're going to put on a, uh, a show uh, with Kiss the Sky, which features Jimmy Blue. And I, and I think you know a little bit about that uh, that act, don't you? I might add, Jimmy Blue uh, has played with me for countless times. And what better guy to do that? Man, this guy is, is a virtuoso on the guitar, and he puts on a dynamic show. 
you know. So, yeah, get on out there and check him out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's worthy of uh, of the title of uh, of recreating uh, the Jimi Hendrix um, uh, experience. Uh, although I, I know he, you know, they they take um, these recreations on on these iconic shows, uh, you know, like Monterey Pop, like Woodstock, mm-hmm. uh, like Isle of Wight, uh, and they and they they get down to the detail and just you know perform it as is as as if you were there, right? That's right. Yeah, right. that's, that's pretty spirit. incredible. He does. He has that spirit. So he, he gets the spiritual nature of uh, of Jimi Hendrix as well as the technical prowess. There it is. There it is. There it is. You said it all. Well, good, good, good. Well, Billy Cox, um, geez, it, it's always great to talk to, uh, you know, people that were heroes of mine and uh, in our audience and uh, know that, you know, you're you're out there. In fact, you know, what what are you up to these days? Are you, you still playing around town? I mean, barring COVID, uh, of course. No, yeah, I'm, I'm just kind of laid dead right now. You know, I, I'm an airbrusher, pinstriper, and I, I'm a and I, I, I paint. Uh, I was uh, going through a lot of classes prior to all of this, trying to bring out that um, that that part of that talent in me. And I'm having a great time with my studio downstairs, and and I do that, and uh, still writing songs, and still having a good time, and enjoying this life above ground. And I I'm, I turned uh, uh, last month. I turned uh, 81. So, 81. You know, it doesn't. Mean- it doesn't mean after you get a certain age, doesn't mean you have to retire. You know, it means you just got people. I think a lot of times it's psychosomatic. People say, "Oh, you're old," and so they act. They say, "I am old," so they act old, they look old. But you know, if you believe that crap, well, go ahead and be old. Then you'll but, be old. Uh, I right. refuse to be. No, I'm just existing. I'm not getting old. I'm just existing and having a good time. Well, God bless you. That's so great to hear. Billy Cox, thanks for being with us on Deeper Digs today. Well, thank you for having me on. And take a, and have a great day. And uh, maybe we'll, we'll hook up one day and shake hands after this stuff's I, over with. <laughs> I look forward to that. I look forward to that. Every day of the week, I hear that a, a different city. There is some Billy Cox jamming with Jimmy and Mitch Mitchell on July 30th, 1970, in Maui, about two months before we lost Jimi Hendrix forever. I just want to say what a pleasure it was to get to speak to such a legend and just one of the nicest guys in the world. I can see why Jimmy loved that guy. All right. Next, we have another of the great collaborators for Jimmy, Juma Sultan. Born in 1942 as a jazz musician, most often recording as a percussionist or bass player. He may be best known for his appearance at the Woodstock Festival of 1969 at Bethel, New York, playing with Hendrix. He currently plays in the African performance group Sankofa. 
the band Sons of Thunder, and with the Juma Sultan Band. Sultan was born in Monrovia, California. In 1969, he performed at the Woodstock Festival in Hendrix's band Gypsy Sun and Rainbows and on the Dick Cavett Show and a special show in Harlem several weeks later. He was interviewed extensively for the documentary films Jimi Hendrix and Jimi Hendrix Live at Woodstock. He appears on approximately 12 of Jimi Hendrix's posthumous releases. Juma Sultan's musical talents span jazz, rock, blues, and spirituals throughout decades of performing, producing, and recording. In 2006, Clarkson University, in conjunction with Sultan, received a grant from the National Endowment of the Arts to preserve Sultan's audio and video documentation of avant-garde jazz during the 1960s and 1970s. The collection may be viewed at jumasarchive.org. All right, so now... I give you Juma Sultan. Yeah, 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 yeah. Dig, dig, we like to get something straight. We, um, we got tired of experiencing every once in a while. We just blowing our minds too much. So we decided to change the whole thing around and uh, call it Gypsy Sun and Rainbows. For short, it's nothing but a band of gypsies. We have Billy Cox playing bass and, uh, from Nashville, Tennessee. We have Larry Lee playing guitar over there. Yellow Lee. We got Juma playing congos over there. Juma. We have our, uh, Granny Goose. I mean, excuse me, I'm Mitch Mitchell on drums here. And then we got Jerry Villas on congos too. <laughs> Welcome to Deeper Digs, Juma Sultan. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing great. Excellent, it is. Um, I'm up here, upstate New York. You know, still uh, winter is coming on. Yeah. You know, so uh, it's great to talk to you. Well, I I, I have to ask the first question. Uh, so so much, uh, and so many people I've talked to this year. You know, especially musicians, and you know what must be the strangest year of of any musician's life. You know, how are you dealing with COVID-19 and, and all the other crazy stuff we've had to deal with this year? Well, beyond strange, is just strenuous because you have to, uh, it's like on the spot, reinvent yourself for yeah. uh, survival. And, and, and there's many people that are in a position to thrive and, and, and then they're really blessed. But uh, the average musician, uh, you know, I just know wonderful guys who have, uh, went back to uh, their early, early careers of uh, a day job if they could get it. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's terrible. Uh, Cause you know, we, we, we all became musicians to avoid a real job. Oh, oh yeah. Well, yeah. Well, oh, in, in some respect, I agree with that, but it's about uh, the music. Yeah. 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 It's, it's about the music. So, so let's, let's get a little bit about, uh, you know, the, the Juma Sultan, uh, origin story, the superhero origin story. How, how did you get into music and how, how did that come into your life? Well, music came into my life early. I started playing music, uh, early, like in the third grade on a baritone horn and, and it just floated in and out. In junior high school, I played sousaphone, and then I, mm-hmm. uh, and then I played uh, trumpet, and then I played guitar, and then I got uh, turned on to the upright bass and uh, uh, studied, uh, uh, you know, the uh, 
to be a jazz bassist for a number of years. And, and uh, I always had a a, a spirit for uh, for like rhythm and, and drums. And so I, I, I was exposed to that earlier in my life and I always just sort of played uh, drums on the side. And uh, years later, uh, I, I gravitated to New York uh, playing upright bass. You know, I mm-hmm. came here with mm-hmm. uh, a group called Sonny Simmons. Uh, it was the uh, Death Probers. And, uh, you know, went to the Lower East Side, mm-hmm. all over uh, New York. This was about 1965. Mm-hmm. So that was in early, early years. And uh, ended up in uh, Saugerties, Woodstock area, you know. Oh, so, yeah. 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 That was, that was the heyday. Of that Woodstock and Musicians Collective. I mean, obviously, we all know that uh, Bob Dylan and the band, you know, were hanging out up there uh, at that uh, time. Well, well, the, the uh, uh, Grossman's uh, uh, Albert, uh, yeah, Al Grossman, Al, Al Grossman had had uh, the Barrysville, and he had a great studio, and he was making everybody, Janet Joplin, so many different bands, you know, were coming through this area, and so many bands were already, uh, you know, living here, you know. Uh, that were with other labels like like uh, guys like Tim Harding and uh, you know so many uh, you know uh, later on the Butterfield Band and yeah, you Paul, know just Paul different Brinson, groups yeah yeah that, oh yeah Paul mm-hmm. yeah there were so many and you know Van Morrison and uh, <laughs> yeah. I think some of the guys you know Carlton mm-hmm. Walcott there were so many there were some Buzz Street there were so many musicians you know during that period of the sixties and uh, yeah. 70 yeah you know lived in this area yeah so so so, so how, how how does a a southern california boy like yourself by the way i was born and raised in, in southern california my, uh, as well yeah uh, how, how do you migrate to 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 big nyc and why well i, I came to new york because uh, uh i was living in the uh, topanga canyon and uh i i was uh, uh i was a visual artist i was studying uh uh, uh, all the various old master techniques at uh, UCLA extension courses, oh. and uh, uh, Sonny Simmons came through, and uh, him and uh, 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 Bill Evans and those guys—they uh, blew my mind with the sound because it reminded me of uh, so, so many other areas. And uh, uh, you know, at that time, I was uh, uh, just uh, playing, uh, you know, three chords and singing the blues like Red Belly around the fire. Right. Right. And mm-hmm. you know, a folk music, more yeah. of a folklorical, and uh, that's where I was living. And these guys came through, and I said, "Man!" And I started, you know, going through uh, uh, music, and I happened to be with uh, being exposed to a lot of uh, music. I was introduced to uh, on that occasion a guy named Bert Wilson, who was a saxophone player, and he was a uh, uh, he was a uh, uh, great saxophone player, but he was uh, like a quadriplegic. And he took me on like a mentor and just taught me so much about jazz and standard jazz and and also what they were playing like a more of a avant-garde. Yeah. So anyway, in about in about three years, I went up to San Francisco and and uh, uh, joined Sonny Simmons and uh, uh, and that night I would go and play in the different clubs and practice and. You know, it was really a, a lot of a lot of great music up there in the Hey Dashbury days. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Was, yeah. So, was that yeah. uh, 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 mid sixties, like sixty five, sixty six, that era? 
Correct. Yeah, yeah. that era. Uh, that era. Were you yeah. were you were yeah. you here in San Francisco at the during the summer of love? Oh yeah, yeah. I was part of the VMs. I, I, you know, like I remember one of the last big one was in uh, uh, Golden Gate Park. You know, in the Drummers for Space and. Uh, uh, Oh yeah, the, the, that's the one Michael. that Timothy Leary, uh, you know, drops yeah, his yeah. Uh, famous line: uh, "Tune in, turn out, tune on, tar- turn on, and yeah. tune in, turn out, yeah. turn out, tune out." But yeah. what a, yeah. whatever that was. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I was involved in a lot of that different uh-huh. stuff at that time, but I was, uh, you know, around the same time. And then I, I gravitated to Woodstock, Lower East Side. I mean, not Woodstock, but New York City, Lower East Side. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Third Street, and there was a lot of great music there. And then. Uh, then finally uh, gravitated upstate, and uh, uh, I think that was around '67, and uh, bounced back and forth from here to California. You know, I was like a snowbird, or yeah. you know, whatever they call it. Yeah, yeah. I uh, when winter came here, I'd go, <laughs> I'd go out, out to Ber- <laughs> Berkeley, yeah, Berkeley, San Francisco, anywhere, yeah. anywhere where I could boost out for the winter because. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it was, they were a little rough. I, mm-hmm. It took me 30 years to figure out I, I can't get warm here in the wintertime. <laughs> I know. Anyway. Hey, I, I know. Yeah, like I said, you know, I'm a Southern California boy as well. And uh, I know exactly what you mean. Uh, I don't know. What what are those people thinking uh, living in the snow if you if you can go live without it? So it's a it's a nice oh, place well, to visit, but I wouldn't want to live there, you know? <laughs> well, well, people love it. but it's, And it's also good for music because you could get – you get either woodshed or get cabin fever, and woodshed means practice, yeah. practice, practice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Say it, yeah. you know, which is good, which is good. So anyway, well, back to the music. So uh, you know, I, I I was in Woodstock, and then uh, in in nineteen, a lot of people ask me a lot. You know, I know you got a line of question, but they, they uh, you know, you know, we're doing this tribute for uh, for Jimmy, uh, yeah, for Jimmy, yeah, and uh, uh, yeah, November twenty so seventh, right which would have been his seventy eighth birthday. Exactly. Well, well, I just came back from uh, Seattle, Washington, and they had his, uh, uh, you know, on the um, 20, 20th of uh, last month. So, yeah. His memorial. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It was. It was in his bed. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so, Seattle, so, of course, uh, where he was born. Oh yeah. Well, mm-hmm. it was. It was. We the event was held in the park. Yeah. Uh, there in Seattle, Washington. Yes. And it was very interesting. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, beyond that. Uh, uh, you know, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, this, this, uh, you know, kiss the sky is, is, is very, very, very solid. Uh, I met Jimmy blue, uh, when I was, uh, with the, uh, with, uh, uh, the Jesse Sun and rainbows up at the Chocan house in uh, in Boyceville. And he was just a youngster. He was part of, uh, Jimmy's fan club early way back. Yeah. May have even started, yeah. may have even started. So there's a lot of history. <laughs> There's a lot of history there, so I'm going to let you ask me the questions, and uh, I won't well, go off. Well, since since you brought up uh, Jimmy Blue and Kiss the Sky, uh, obviously, you know they they are the uh, the headline act uh, on the uh, the birthday celebration here coming up on November 27th uh, at the Bearsville Theater uh, up near you there in Woodstock, um, and uh, I think uh, you you are going to come down and sit in for a little bit, huh? Well. Uh, occasionally, I do sit in on certain segments. What I like about what Jimmy, what they do with that, 
is they they present uh, Jimmy at different levels. Right, and, right, uh, right. Very specific very, shows very, and uh, yeah, well, recreations. Educational. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, and and that's what and that's what they're and that's what they're doing. So within that fact of keeping it within a historical concept, I respect them, and and also uh, very good players, and I've I've always participated in and enjoyed, and and many of the things that they do. Uh, 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 I recorded with Jimmy, so yeah, which yeah. is fine. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, you know, what what what, what was the first time you uh, met Jimi Hendrix like? Uh, well, uh, uh, cloudy, because I first met Hendrix in in uh, in Harlem under all kind of other circumstances. Uh, so, but I uh, my my recollection of him after that is uh. uh you know, running into him down in in East Village, um, and um, and then after that we ran into each other in uh, in, in Woodstock in 1969, mm. and um, uh, and that's where he he was forming the group for the uh, Woodstock Festival, and uh, uh, he was walking through town and I happened to be in town and he said, oh hey, hey. we we started talking, and he said, well. I'm putting a band together for this festival. Why don't you come up and jam? And uh, uh, we uh, we hung out for about three days up at his manager's house. And he said, "Well, I'm looking for a house up, you know, looking for a house. I like it up here. Um, I'm looking for a place." And so they found him a place, uh, you know, about a month later. And uh, and that was in Trouble Hollow Road up in uh, uh, Boyceville. They call it the Showcan, but it's just above Showcan mm-hmm. in Boyceville. And uh, um, he started bringing in uh, members like uh, Billy Cox and Larry Lee. Yeah. He brought in Gerardo Velez and myself. Yeah. yeah. And and uh, you know, but the, basically, uh, the management wasn't happy because uh, the Million Dollar Baby was uh, he him him mentioned all you know all, all, you know right off the top right there they they could go on they could stay on the road for the next twenty years you know because. Uh, it was a, a, a great band. Oh, but he wanted to make, the original experience. He wanted, right, 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 right. Of course, yeah. yeah. Well, of course, but they they had dissensions. They had dissensions because uh, you know uh, it was all about uh, whatever it was, politics, money, on and on. Yeah, and uh, usually uh, money. They had money first. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, we could go into it, but they had dissolved, and he was. But anyway, Jimmy was looking for even uh, even more because he was always talking about. Uh, Trying to find a new sound. Yeah, you yeah, know, he yeah, was, he was yeah. More interested in sound instead of uh, 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 just be playing the same same music, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, over, yeah, and so they had him on tour. Yeah. Well, you know, you're a musician, yeah. and he was growing. Yeah, you got to grow, man. Yeah, yeah. 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 As, 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 as Bob Dylan says, uh, he not busy being born is busy dying. So uh, yeah, you got you yeah. got you got to keep moving forward like a shark. Yeah. Well, well, with 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 how he was creating, you know, and he used the studio for 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 oh, the yeah. board. And right now, well, right now, cats are using their computers, so yeah, it was it a is, far yeah. cry from that crap. I'm yeah. sorry, it was a far cry. <laughs> he, he he used the studio, uh, you know, or or he used his own bedroom or wherever he was at. Mm-hmm. He was always uh, the music was running and the sound. Mm-hmm. But what people understand is that the sound, in in my understanding, was so wide that he was when you listen to it and when you listen to all the other things he was creating in his sound uh he was hearing orchestras man 
You know, he was yeah. here. He was here in a, a, a big sound beyond, uh, 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 you know, beyond uh, guitar normal based drums. vibration. Right, right, right. Well, oh, oh no, well, he, was, oh. he was here in orchestra, and and eventually, you know, he would he would have been arranging. I remember they were trying to get him, put him up with uh, next to Quincy and and different things, but he. He, his concept was so much broader, so, as far as I was concerned. So, and uh, but anyway, uh, you know, back at the house, he, he um, you know had a few um, few rehearsals. Even prior to uh, Billy and um, uh, Larry Lee coming in, he he tried out various other musicians from the area because he was always he was looking for a drummer, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And, and guys came up there like. Uh, and and uh, there's a bootleg going around. I'm not even going to call the name, but it came up and recorded like a trio between Jimmy, myself, and them, and and, and went and went somewhere and printed it and, and called it something, you know, and and all kind of stuff that happened in, in the interim. But uh, uh, but he, he never found the drummer. He auditioned quite a few nice musicians, and uh, uh, you know, and he and um, Near the uh, after after the the band came up, uh, maybe a month or so, then then Mitch came in. He would come in. I think he was still at the Navarro Hotel, which Jimmy kept a permanent location, you know, at the Navarro Hotel yeah. in New York, also, mm-hmm. and bounced back and forth. So you know, it was uh, very 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 interesting, you mm-hmm. know, because uh, uh, you know, if you look at the Woodstock tape, you'll see that he said, hey. Uh, we haven't had that many rehearsals, but here it is. Yeah, we're know, just jamming. Just, yeah, yeah. You can stay. Yeah, you yeah. can go. We're just jamming. So. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that was near the end. Yeah, but, but there were there were there were a few times. But but he, you know, he had played with Larry Lee and he had played with Billy Cox in the in the Chitlin Circuit. Yep. And they yep. go way back and also yep. in the military. Yeah. So they went way back. They were pretty solid. They had a solid unit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. So, but having anyway. you, you know, adding adding you and Gerardo uh, is 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 interesting because it is he is expanding the palette right there. He's got you know Gerardo kind of brings a, a Latin flavor, and I think you were bringing in kind of an Afro-Cuban flavor uh, to uh, to what he was doing with the music, wouldn't you say? The most the most definite. That's that's exactly where the concept was. Is that that he was he was going for. Uh, you know, at least in in the palette of of a foundation, he was looking for a combination of the roots between the uh, uh, the Latin, the uh, which is uh, or the Afrocentric, which is the same thing, mm-hmm. and 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 the pulse of, uh, of of what he what he was feeling, which takes it to the uh, universal. And at that time, you know, I had a band called the uh, Aboriginal, started in 1968, the Aboriginal Music Society. Now the Aboriginal Music Society, uh, people think is Australian Aboriginal. No, just uh, no native spe- native simply. peoples. Well, it calls Ab- Abba native, which is the father or the origin. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, father. So it's uh, the, like uh, the father of origin. So it's like any indigenous anywhere in the world. Yes. And so it, it's more like the root music, mm-hmm. or uh, mm-hmm. you know. They call it world beat now. That's the closest they can get to, and they can't even define that. So <laughs> right. Everything has to have a, have a category. Okay, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. We got to so, put they got to put everything in a category for for better well, or worse. Well, right. in, order, in order for concept, right? Yeah. So, so yeah. anyway, but yeah. but he had a he had a certain song, and and I and uh, and uh, I think he he was incorporating uh, uh, the two 
and uh, um, you know, and 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 because of the difference in, in our in our playing style, although you know both of us were uh, young and, and and dealing with the root of our uh, of our uh, you know music, yeah, yeah, but yeah. It was the same thing, yeah. but a, a different school, a different approach coming yeah. together, basically. yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. It was uh, it was definitely an, uh, a great, you know, I mean, let's face it, that is considered one of the great performances in rock and roll history, period, end of story. Uh, you know, uh, uh, granted, most people point to the Star Spangled Banner, but, you know, the entire thing is, is it's it's uh, emblematic, uh, it, it, the way it worked, how it, how it happened, yeah. the fact of him just even though he was the supposedly the headliner and you guys don't even go on till Monday morning. Uh, I think at around seven o'clock in the morning. Yes. Something like that. And when you get to the star Spangled banner, if you ever looked at the outtakes, you'll see that uh, there were the musicians were other musicians were playing with them and they have a board copy that yeah. exists among the collectors. I'm telling you. And, uh, uh, where the other instruments are playing. And it was not a solo. It was beautiful, man, I, I, I would say. But it was a producer's choice. But they turned down all the microphones, you know. To the band, to yeah, yeah. Just to, to, just to focus yeah. on on, yeah. on Jimmy's yeah. playing of right. that. Right. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and they, they put them, not only not only did they do that on uh, on the Star Spangled Banner, they did that on most of the percussion all the way through. Yeah, the percussion is really to... buried in the mix, uh, even oh, when well, you hear it. Buried. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it's just, you, you can feel it, but you can't hear it. Yeah. How that... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's the way it is. But that's that's producer's choice, you know. Uh, because, you know, uh, well, 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 you know, hey, made the problem. movie, made the movie, and became an iconic moment uh, yeah. for all well, time. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, you know, producer's choice. You yeah, know, yeah, you know, yeah, if yeah, you, you yeah. either have an artist album or a producer album. So yeah. that whole thing was turned yeah. over to the producers from its origin. So, so anyway. you also did uh, the Dick Cavett show, and you've actually you're 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 on like twelve of the uh, posthumous uh, album releases, I believe. Yeah, at least at least twelve of them, correct. Yeah, yeah. And the Cavett show was an interesting show because. Uh, uh, we 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 were going to the Kylie show, and um, when I got there, they had left all my instruments back at the house in in Boys Row. <laughs> so uh, you know, to their to their chagrin and surprise, I went around the corner to Mal Ralph McDonald's, who uh, was a great percussionist and had a studio. Got a drum, shaker, a clave, and came and did the gig. And it was it was a uh, uh, you know. I was trying to rub. I was I was a little rebellious, and I just rubbed mud in their face. You know? <laughs> it was a fun. <laughs> good, good, good for you. Good yeah, for you. So uh, yeah. you um, you've also done uh, a lot of work uh, in the acid jazz area with artists like uh, Archie Shep and Noah Howard and Sonny Simmons. Um, what got you into that? Well, uh, I, I came. I came after. After studying a few years in what they used to call the fake book and learning all the standard songs, yeah. I came to New York with a group called the Depth Probers, which consisted of uh, uh, Sonny Simmons, Robert Donald, Paul Smith, and myself. And uh, uh, we we practiced for uh, over a year on 3rd Street at, uh, in a gallery. We practiced at my house. We were maybe a year or, or more. And really didn't have, uh, uh, you know, we didn't do one gig and the drummer went back to Berkeley, California, you know, 
and uh, uh, Sonny Simmons came upstate the following year, and uh, uh, we did some gigs up here for uh, uh, in, in the Woodstock's already area for like the Sound Out, which was uh, uh, I think that was like 1968, <laughs> which was a precursor to the famed Woodstock Festival. Yeah, and uh, but yeah, but what brought me, uh, you know. Uh, uh, the Death Probers, Sonny Simmons, you know, he he uh, he blew my mind with, uh, with and and also he was uh, my mentor in uh, uh, in in the great so-called bebop and then the era after the bebop mm-hmm. and uh, uh, he just uh, uh, he was very he was mentored by all the greats uh, they were uh, from from John Coltrane to Eric Dolphy. To, to, uh, he was just with so many great other people that uh, it was an honor to play with him. Like it was an honor to even be on, you know, anywhere not on stage, but to be in association with Jimmy. You know, so it was the same. Uh, I feel feel type of genius. Uh, you know that you can support yeah. and grow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so that's what brought me here with the Depth Probers, and and, and from there, uh, you know, I stand out. Because I was here, and uh, I, I met uh, so many other uh, great people, and, and a lot of them migrated from New York and from St. Louis and from Chicago, all over the place. And so it just was uh, great to, uh, to be part of the uh, integral movement called uh, uh, right now they call it the uh, the loft jazz period. Mm-hmm. You know, they call it the loft, where musicians were trying to be more uh, uh, independent and uh, have more control over what they play, when they play. But also it was a, a, a lull in the industry where uh, they, they were, uh, uh, it wasn't a, a high market for, for jazz rather than say, I would say that if, if uh, you know, they, they, they would take, uh, you know, out of the 10, they'll take a miles, you know. Yeah. And, yeah. It, you know, and, and, and admittedly so, a genius, you know. But I'm just saying there were still others, you know, that, uh, you know, you know, you can look at them from uh, every, every era, you know. So mm-hmm. anyway, mm-hmm. Yeah. so uh, uh, you, you mentioned uh, that in 1968 you helped create the Arib- Ab- Aboriginal Music uh, Music Society. Uh, what, what's what's going on with that today? It's still in existence, right? Yes, it is. The Aboriginal Music Society is still in existence. In fact, uh, uh, hopefully, uh, you know, in 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 the future, you'll be able to hear the music through. Uh, uh, similar to what you're doing in, in a podcast. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I have, I have an archival library probably right now, maybe catalog, uh, only maybe, you know, uh, 450 recordings, not counting interviews, hours and hours and hours of, of material that I would like to, to, uh, you know, uh, maybe stream or our, our podcast or our present because it's very it's very incremental because uh, number one it, uh, a lot of it re- reflects diffusion people think that it's just uh, a jazz orientation no it was uh, to me it was a cosmic orientation because it, it was a fusion because people were listening uh, uh, I think it was like one of the early uh, opening for a global experience or something of that nature in terms of the music. Huh. Well, uh, we will have to look deeper into, uh, into that. Um, uh, that I can, I can guarantee you. So, 
Um, you know what? You know it's been fifty years since we've we've lost Jimmy, and and I appreciate you you giving us a, a little peek on where he might uh, have gone. Uh, you know, had he survived uh, the uh, the uh, the accident in uh, in nineteen seventy, but you know, um, what do you? What, how do you feel about your legacy tied up so closely to him fifty years on? What did you ever think that was going to be? You know, a thing fifty years ago. Uh, uh, no, no, I haven't. And uh, uh, you know, unfortunately, it's been something that I've I've never really uh personally uh uh capitalized on mm. in, in that respect mm. and, and and at the same time i played for him because uh, uh we had a, a uh, love for music uh I'm, I'm a musician by nature i happen to play professionally and i know he was too right and so uh i had no problem uh with that uh, you know to this day and so, so i operate in that same uh uh vibration and uh, and I think that's where we came together because at that time, uh, and I was playing what they call avant-garde, but but I I, I play in, in in a number of genres of, mm. of music, right? And, and so did Jimmy, and that's what I respected about Jimmy. I'd see Jimmy play with, uh, you know, like Kenny Rankin, and then I see him play with a, a guy with a flute that had barely had three notes together and, and made sound. You know, yeah. You know, I've seen a, a lot of experience. You know, uh, where his spirit was with music. You know, and, and I've seen him. Uh, you know, uh, you know, call things extemporaneous. And I've seen him say, "Oh, hey, hey, hey," and, and sit down and, and, and play the part so that someone knows their part. <laughs> you know, I, there's a, just so many experience. You know. Uh, so. Wow. Well. Are you are are you going to uh, uh, be uh, with the uh, Kiss the Sky on the twenty seventh? Are you going to be able to get to the Bearsville Theater and uh, uh, sit in a little bit? Uh, yes, yes, I, I plan to. At this point, uh, uh, they haven't designated the uh, the tunes, but I, I'm sure that uh, if they uh, replicate something from the uh, one of the albums or, or, or Woodstock. Uh, I'll, I'll probably do, uh, you know, two or three numbers with them, with the band. That's fantastic to hear. Well, we look forward to seeing you at on the uh, the virtual stream, uh, as our uh, fans uh, that we affectionately call Diggers know, November 27th uh, at 7 p.m. Eastern time at the Bearsville Theater, virtually, uh, Jimmy Blue and uh, Kiss the Sky will be performing uh, the music of Jimi Hendrix, and uh, we'll get to see uh, the great Juma Sultan sit in for a little bit. So, Juma, I just want to thank you for spending some time with us and giving your thoughts and uh, recollections on uh, Jimi Hendrix and his legacy and the great work that you are doing and are continuing to do today. Okay, well, I want to thank you for having me. And, uh, you know, perhaps when I'm on the West Coast, I'll give you a call. Most definitely, you look us up, Juma. All right, be well. You too.
First, I just had to play the Star Spangled Banner. You knew I was going to do it sooner or later, right? In honor of the man. It is one of the most recognizable pieces of rock music ever recorded. A version that speaks volumes of the times it was indeed recorded. Both beautiful and terrifying, soaring like an eagle at times and dropping like a rocket in others. Um... And our guest, Juma Sultan, was right there as it happened. Let's all thank Juma for his discussion with us today. Okay, the last interview for our November Jimi Hendrix tribute is, of course, as I keep saying, the man of the hour, the Jimi Hendrix tribute of our age, 
And really, it's not me who says that, but most of the folks we've spoken to over the last few weeks. Returning to our show is none other than Jimmy Bloom. Kiss the Sky, who uh, you will see performing at the historic Bearsville Theater in Woodstock, New York, is fronted by virtuoso guitarist and former Columbia recording artist Jimmy Blue and backed by a cast of world-class touring musicians from the New York City metro area, whose combined resumes are astonishing. Recording and performing with major music stars such as Pearl Jim, Aretha Franklin, LL Cool J, Teddy Pendergrass, James Cotton, John Mayo, Billy Joel, Lady Gaga, and more. Kiss the Sky musicians are so experienced that all three of Jimmy's remaining former bandmates and living legends, as we've said, Billy Cox, Juma Sultan, and Jerry Velez, have each played on stage alongside Kiss the Sky performers. Most especially, Jimmy Blue is the longest-running Jimmy tribute specialist in the world, and even tours with former Hendrix bassist Billy Cox and his band Gypsies Experience. Jimmy Blue actually met Jimi Hendrix in 1968 at uh, Warner Reprise Records and a, was a member of the official Hendrix fan club that got Hendrix to address an assembly at his high school of the performing arts in New York City. The very next year at Woodstock, Blue was thrown one of the guitar straps Hendrix used in that famous performance and through this direct musical lineage, Jimmy Blue has carried the figurative baton of the Jimi Hendrix guitar showmanship legacy ever since. Jimmy attended Berklee College of Music on the recommendation of Hendrix himself and went on to become a Columbia Def Jam recording artist. He's an accomplished multi-instrumentalist in the studio, has performed in major venues across the globe, including MTV's Rock the Vote Tour, the Atlanta Pop Festival on the BBC for PBS, and open for rock music stars like Foghat, uh, Aerosmith, uh, Graham Central Station. Blue even produced and starred in his own off-Broadway play on the life of Jimi Hendrix. Jimi is also a Hendrix historian uh, and gives lectures on radio, TV, and college campuses about the musical, spiritual, and political importance of Hendrix. So, let's get to it. Our last interview in our November special of Jimi Hendrix, I Give You Jimi Blue. All right, joining us now at last is the man of the hour, the uh, the, the 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 guitarist extraordinaire, the singer, the man who plays Jimi Hendrix in Kiss the Sky that you will see uh, on uh, November 27th is Jimmy Blue. Jimmy Blue, welcome to Deeper Digs. How are you doing today? Christian, so good to see you again, my man. 
That's right. Welcome back, I should say. You, uh, you've been with us uh, before, uh, and uh, uh, we had a great time the last time we spoke, yeah. and so much so that I even came down to uh, L.A. to catch your uh, Access Television uh, performance, uh, which was uh, as they love to say, incendiary. Uh, that was a great, uh, great time. It was a yeah. wonderful night. In fact, remember we we went over the rainbow, went upstairs, had a good time up there. It was yeah. uh, that was that was a that was a fun time out in L.A. Uh, I got to get close to Katie. Yeah, that's right, Miss Katie Darrell. That's right. That's right. Yep. She she doesn't do the tribute thing anymore. Uh, I, I don't think that shows uh, uh, working anymore these days. But she does some other things there at Access. So she's still. Yeah, she moved up the ladder. Uh, yeah, it's great for her. She's yes, very talented. Yeah. There. Very very talented hostess, uh, producer, uh, and everything. Yeah yeah, that's no surprise that she's uh, doing well over there. So. All right. So, you know, first question I've been asking just about everybody since this damn thing began, you know, especially as a musician and a, a working musician, uh, you know, the, the, the touring and the live aspect completely gone. You know, how have you been dealing with uh, the pandemic? Uh, been dealing, you know, uh, I mean, what, what can you do? It's a part of nature. Uh, I'm actually in the middle of uh, editing and, and getting ready to actually shoot a film that is loosely based on Hendrix. Oh, so really? I've been able to concentrate a lot on that, uh, scripting, casting, things like that. So uh, well, tell us a little bit work. more uh, about that. Uh, is it a documentary or a narrative? Uh, where, where are we going with this? No, it's, it's uh, basically uh, a reporter's investigating the disappearance of a friend, finds out her friend joined this musician's commune who does a Hendrix show and everybody's saying he's in league with the devil and things like that. And there's a lot of mysticism involved in this film. And it brings out a lot of what Jimmy was about. Uh, his philosophy uh, is what you're saying, huh? His spirituality is for, for more of a better word. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. How far along are we on this? Uh, yeah, I'm halfway through. Um, I'm, you know, editing it. Uh, Get, getting everything done for this. I have a sponsor for the film, so I have to get it really done. Wow, that's very exciting. Do we have a release date yet? Not yet. I'll be letting you know. You'll be among the first to know when that oh, happens. Oh, good. Good to hear. Good to hear. So may, maybe 2021, is that is that the, the plan? Yes, that's what we're looking we, at. We can at least narrow it down to a revolution around the sun. Uh, 2021 is... Uh, revolution is around the sun. I'm stealing that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I've been saying that for the last 24 hours because uh, uh, my birthday was uh, was yesterday. So that was my revolution oh, oh, around oh. the sun. So oh, right. but they, you're, you're more than welcome to it, my friend, more than welcome to it. So, um, okay. So, you know, we're in this COVID thing. Um, I, I'm sure you, uh, just like uh, my band, you have not had too many gigs this year, right? No. Have you had any? Uh, yes, before uh, actually when they shut down New York City, yeah, uh, we were playing the Cafe War on the day that they shut it down, March 13th. Uh, so that was the last gig for us. We were touring before then with Kiss the Sky around the country. Yeah. And then everything was shut down. So, and so since March uh, 13th, that was the last show. Uh, that was the day that New York closed up and you actually got a chance to perform there at Cafe War. Yes. And that was it. That was it. So, so, so we're going to do a virtual show here uh, on November 27th, which would have been Jimmy's uh, 78th birthday, I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, have you done the virtual concert experience yet? I, I, I sat in with, with something like that. Uh, you were describing what it was like earlier, and I definitely concur with that. 
So yeah, I've, I've done some of those things. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Are you, uh, you guys excited about, uh, about doing this? Oh, it's, a, it's another gig. It's just another gig, huh? It's another gig, you know, paying homage to the man, you know? Right, 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 right. Did, uh, did you, uh, are, are you going to do one of the special shows that you guys do for this, or is this a, a new, unique thing for, uh, specifically for this event? You know, we're still working that out. Uh, the producer, Mike, uh, Mike Gotch, is still really working that out, mm -hmm. and we're still finalizing some things, so I can't really say for sure now. All right, so it's uh, it's up in the air because uh, you, know, you guys are famous for doing these uh, very particular recreations, like uh, uh, the Woodstock concert, or I believe uh, Monterey Pop, uh, Isle of Wight. I think also. Are, are there others that you do? Yeah, people have often asked me throughout the decades, "Hey, man, why don't you write a book?" You know, you were there, and I'm like, I am the book. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. For, the, for the past four years, I've been blessed to have as a as a partner Mike uh, Mike Gotch, mm -hmm. who has the same vision I have of presenting Jimmy, just like a Broadway play. It's very important. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because this guy, uh, what he accomplished in the industry and his potential before he died was just amazing, and and it's uh, missed by most people. So it's important for us to come on stage and show what he was like when he first, you know, got discovered in, what, 1966. And so until his death in 1970 and the various stages that he went through. Yeah, it was uh, just a sh few short years that we, we had him, um, you know, on the pinnacle of, of rock and roll. Of course, he'd been, you know, woodshedding and working it uh, for uh, at least almost a decade before. Uh, and, uh, you know, I played with everybody, including Little Richard, as most people know. Uh, uh, but he was always destined to be his own guy, wasn't he? Most definitely. And uh, he started to come really into that, uh, that destiny, as you say, maybe about a year and a half before he died, he started to put everything together and realize that his, where he was and his potential to do even go more higher. Yeah. Yeah. Including, you know, um, uh, there, there's, there was rumor just, you know, recently uh, had come out uh, a, uh, a telegram to Paul McCartney uh, from Jimmy saying, Hey, we're going to get together and form a band with Miles Davis uh, come on over because we want you to play bass. Uh, and, uh, you know, um, you know what, what do you think would have happened if that had occurred? Uh, just, just close your eyes and imagine. But you, you have to keep in mind he was playing with Miles. He was jamming with Miles occasionally, even before that letter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because they were in the same studio, uh, different rooms. Uh, you know, they'd see each other from time to time. You know, I I, I learned, uh, and and thank you very much. We've had a chance to talk to several people that uh, have both played with you and with Jimmy. Uh, you know, uh, most notably uh, Billy Cox and uh, Geraldo Velez um, uh, have both uh, played with both you with Jimmy and you. And I, I asked uh, 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 Gerardo about that because he brought up Miles to me and and was talking about them being in the studio uh you know working together and uh, and i said well hold, hold, hold on a minute i gotta ask you this rumor you might know uh what do you think and he goes well you know it, it certainly was possible i mean they were jamming together and and all of that but you know it's one of those things if it happens it happens and if it doesn't it doesn't but uh but boy the possibilities of uh, of miles and jimmy 
you know, at the beginning of what is, uh, you know, uh, kind of call, called jazz fusion, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I mean, uh, you know, Miles just come out with Bitches Brew and it, it just, uh, you, 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 I really thought, when I read that rumor, I'm like, boy, I wish that would have happened. That would have been crazy. Yeah, well, you mentioned Bitches Brew. Uh, a lot of people are not aware that uh, both Jimmy and Sly Stone were supposed to be on that album with Miles. Right, right, right. You know, uh, so I'm not sure what happened with Sly, but we know why Jimmy wasn't included on that album. But at least uh, they they still got back together as friends after that incident. And, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to make things work. Well, you know, everybody knows Miles is Miles and... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> he, 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 could, he, he, he was a force of nature. And, and interestingly, you know, Jimmy is like almost the exact opposite, you know, quiet, reserved. Uh, is that what, what your understanding of him is? No. <laughs> oh, okay. well, set me straight, my man. <laughs> uh, when, when Jimmy came out the box with Monterey Pop, which is the, the era I concentrate on, that yeah. is a game. And this is why we're still talking about Jimmy today. And then from that concert, it was downhill until he died. He never reached that peak again. But it wasn't his fault so much. It was a lot of bad things going on behind the scenes that uh, a lot of people don't know about. Yeah, management and money and uh, things like that, right? Management, money, government. Yeah. You know, things like that. So, but, uh, but. Yeah, when he came on Monterey Pop, I, I always tell people, watch that concert. That's the Jimmy that uh, had all of the possibilities. Uh, yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, uh, I, mean, I, I mean, look, n- nobody would walk away from seeing the Monterey Pop performance and not understand the greatness of this guy. I mean, it, it is there fully uh, formed. Uh, and I think that's your point. Uh, and unfortunately, because of these other um, uh, uh, incidents or, or, or distractions that were surrounding him, uh, to your point, he never quite got back to that, that moment, huh? Well, it's not so much me. I, I was blessed to have been able to interview when I, uh, you know, speak very lengthy, <laughs> spend a lot of time with Chas Chandler. Right, right. His original manager, who I think Jimmy was trying to get back uh, at yes, the end. Exactly. And yeah, uh, yeah to hear Chas talk about Jimmy, I'm surprised that nobody had the sense enough to interview this guy at length. I mean, he's, he has talking heads interviews and various docs and films, but nobody had the sense to sit this guy down mm-hmm. and really try to find out what Jimmy was about. Because if anybody would know, he would know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, he was closest to him uh, at, at the beginning of his rise. And unfortunately, it, you know, it, it went a different way. Uh, you know, and it's too bad that uh, they weren't able to 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 get back together there at the end. And, and you know, then probably things would have been very different, huh? I imagine so if they could have gotten rid of the uh, the other problems that was happening, management and things that we've mentioned before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So, I mean, you've been doing this for, gosh, almost 50 years yourself, right? Well, I started in 68. So what is this, the 52nd year I'm, I'm on now? Yeah. 
that's that's amazing to dedicate your life to uh uh you know the pursuit of this particular artist uh and to continue to 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 bring that legacy to new audiences out there so i might i might first ask you how has the show changed over the years for you well like i said years ago i've been blessed to come across my gosh what i've been able to put the whole package together that means the various eras the, mm -hmm. the different side men the costumes the equipment so people can see what it was really like and that's very important because uh it shows that jimmy hendrix still stands up to today yeah to the various talent that's happening today yeah. So what you're saying is that you, you don't just do the power trio, Mitch Mitchell, uh, Noel Redding, uh, Jimi Hendrix experience. You also do uh, 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 Gypsies and Rainbows and Band of Gypsies too, right? Yes. And, and in those various uh, different stages of Jimmy's career, he played guitar different. When he was on stage with two white guys, he played a certain way. When he got on stage with two black guys, he played a certain way. Mm -hmm. When he had a five-piece band, he played differently. And this has to be brought out when you're playing Jimi Hendrix. And, and for people to see that, it's very important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and uh, again, as, as we've learned from these uh, uh, episodes here uh, promoting this upcoming show with you, uh, you know, we've learned some things, uh, you know, uh, like Billy Cox uh, told us that, uh, you know, um, at uh, Woodstock, uh, the Star Spangled Banner wasn't something that they thought. It literally was just came up with right there. And Billy says that he started the notes, first five notes, and then Jimmy <laughs> took it from there. And, 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 and it became one of, if not, the most iconic moment in rock and roll history. That's a good point. And, and yeah, Billy's like my big brother. Uh, and it wasn't the first time he did the Star Spangled Banner. He'd done it many times even before that. It's just that it was just the right moment then, uh, such an iconic festival, uh, iconic moment in history. And movie, yeah, yeah. Uh, the movie sells everything. We, as we, as we did our deep dive into Woodstock, you know, we we discovered that boy, without that movie, I don't know if anybody remember uh, it. Uh, you know, it, it would be like Watkins Glen or or some of these other larger events that occurred, but not on the scale that Woodstock is thought of uh, in history. Yeah, good point. Yeah. yeah. So, um, uh, you know, what, why do you think Hendrix still resonates? Here's now 50 years beyond his passing. I, I think more what he stood for, uh, you know, of course his talent, but more of what he stood for, the freedom, the individual freedom that he stood for still resonates with a lot of people today, especially in light of the current political situation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially so. So, like Black Lives Matter uh, and the racial uh, strife that has been, uh, you know, once again, uh, white people have to confront. Uh, you know, uh, while some things have changed, uh, changed uh, not enough has changed, and I and I think that's the obvious lesson of the last year, huh? Yeah, but not just white people. <laughs> but black people have to confront. Um, Black people are not aware of what this guy contributed to the black community, which is why uh, Corey Washington's book right. is so important. Yeah, 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 yeah. That uh, that's a very good point, and we were lucky to have uh, Corey uh, open this series uh, with us, along with Kenny Aronoff, and people uh, could hear that. Uh, you know, um, uh, a lot of people said Jimmy transcended race. 
um, that wasn't necessarily the case. Uh, you know, I think that's a, a, a bit of a trope in some ways. Uh, and that, uh, you know, uh, it is nice to see that the, you know, African Americans are beginning or have been for the last 20 years or so, uh, embrace Jimmy again to say, wow, you know, this guy was, was really one of ours and just, you know, took it to places unimaginable. You know, it, it's interesting that, um, you know, we're, we're doing this just after uh, probably the only other guitar player that could lay claim of changing the instrument uh, so dramatically. And that's, you know, the passing of Edward Van Halen. What, what, what do you think of, uh, of losing uh, now the, the probably the second greatest guitar player in the scene? Oh, man, you know, listen, man, I can go down the line. Eddie was up there in the pantheon of greats. He contributed. He brought a lot changing the game, just like Jimmy did. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of great cats out there, man. When when people say Jimmy was the greatest guitar player, I, I put my head down like Jimmy used to do when they used to tell him he was the greatest. Because, no, he couldn't do everything. There were things that he wanted to do in his head that he couldn't do, which is what Miles was helping him with. He idolized Larry Coyell idolized. Larry had showed him a lot of the jazz licks uh, that he utilized, that Jimmy utilized in Woodstock. He utilized a lot of the stuff Larry showed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Johnny Winter, the head-to-head the, the oh, -head jams. Yeah, yeah. I call them battles because I was at a few where these guys was in each other's face like, oh, you did that? Well, I, okay, well, check this out. You know what I mean? And, and fighting each other on stage he learned a lot from Johnny Winter, man. He, he idolized these cats, man. So Yeah, I mean, let's face it. You know, a lot of people like to point and say, you know, the greatest or let's rank them. You know, Rolling Stone just recently did its, uh, redid its uh, 500 greatest albums of all time for the third time. Uh, music is not a competition. It's yeah. It's not, and and you know, uh, you know, while uh, it's easy to you know pick, uh, you know, a, a group of people and elevate them and say, okay, well, these guys are really great. You know, there's 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 a group. It's not one. It's not two. Uh, and it, it also depends on you know what your mood is. It, it depends on what it is you're looking for. You know, I mean, you know, some days, uh, you know, I do want to hear fire like uh, like Jimi Hendrix, and some days I want to laid back like Eric Clapton or Dave Gilmore or something like that. So you know, yeah. I, it, it changes day to day if if you just open yourself to the experience and and say, hey, look, let it come to me. I'm, I'm going to leave my categorization and my biases at home uh, and just let the music flow over you. And if it's good, it's good. And, and if not, then, you know, it, it won't rise to the top and it certainly won't stand the test of time. And I think that's the big thing is that you do see, you know, certain people uh, and, and, I, and it, if there is a bit of a competition, that is the ultimate arbiter. It's time. And, yeah. you know, 50 years, uh, you know, we can kind of look back and say, okay, here, here are the folks that really, you know, made a big difference. I mean, Bob Dylan, the Beatles, Joni Mitchell, uh, Joan Baez, uh, and Jimi Hendrix, you know, all kind of fit into that category. And as we get closer in time, it, it does, it, it's a little harder to do, um, you know, but after about 20 years, you can begin to say, okay, here, here are the, the ones that really made a dent in the universe, wouldn't you say? Yes. I, I agree with that. So what's it like to have people like uh, Gerardo Velez and Billy Cox say such incredible things about Kiss the Sky? Hey man, it, it's right back at them. These cats are the masters and, uh, I'm, I'm just glad that we were able to do something with them in, in relation to Jimmy. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are, are, are we, do we have any special guests uh, for the uh, November 27th uh, gig? Yeah, we got my blood brother, Juma. Juma's uh, going to come. Okay. Yeah, yeah, All he's, right. Uh, he's going to contribute and, and bring some things into it. Uh, that's, a, that's another guy with a knowledge of, of Jimmy that's just, uh, he, he'll, he'll come out with stuff and we'll go, what? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, so yeah, yeah. we're very happy to have him along as well. Anything special that the viewers should uh, prepare themselves uh, for uh, before this, uh, this gig? No, just come and, and be attentive and, you know, just come to have a good time. And, uh, you know, of course, we would like your donations. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, you know, and, and let me say something about that, because I, I have been mentioning that in the shows. It's like, look, this is like a free gig, folks. I mean, just go and check it out. And if you like it, throw them a tip. You know, I mean, there's uh, all these patreon and coffee and things like that people are used to that yeah. you know and so i mean what's five or ten bucks uh you know for a good show uh you know that's that should be it should warrant at least that um but it's nice that you guys have put it up as hey we, we're, we're celebrating uh jimmy hendrix we want you to come whether you can afford it or not yeah exactly yeah, yeah. good way of putting it that's very cool. That's very cool. Well, Jimmy Blue, I just wanted to have you on here as our as our last guest uh, with um, uh, with this series. We've had a fantastic November uh, diving into this and hearing various perspectives on uh, Jimi Hendrix and what Jimi Hendrix means to them. Uh, it's just it's been a great ride, and uh, and I know our uh, diggers have uh, had a lot of fun with that. So, you know, we want to thank you, and we're all looking forward to uh, seeing you here on the twenty seventh. Well, Christian, it's been great seeing you again. I appreciate you having me on your show, man. And, you know, thank, thank you very much. Well, I'll be there virtually, but I wish I could be there in person. Purple haze, all in my brain. Baby things that don't seem the same. Acting funny, but I don't know why. Excuse me while I kiss the sky. Oh, wowza. Jimmy Blue really does Jimi Hendrix uh, well, huh, folks? Big thanks to Mr. Blue for taking uh, the time to talk with us. Um, okay, don't forget, Friday, November 27th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, November 27th, 2020, if you're listening to this late, Kiss the Sky presents a live stream of their annual Jimi Hendrix birthday bash direct from the historic Bearsville Theater in Woodstock, New York. Check the bearsvilletheater.com or uh, you can check uh, Kiss the Sky tribute uh, page on Facebook for more information. Well, we've learned a lot about Jimi Hendrix in the last few weeks. Uh, I think uh, the first thing is that he still captures the attention of people 50 years after his passing. Reminds me of how people thought of Rudolph Valentino when I was a kid. Uh, and that was about 50 years after his death. And he, he died in 1926, so making 1976 50 years gone. 
Hmm. Yeah, made you think. Uh, I probably also made you feel old, didn't I? You know, Hendrix is a prime example and certainly points to the evidence uh, we push around here a lot that uh, this particular moment in music history is extraordinarily special. You know, while, while King Oliver, Al Jolson, Louis Armstrong, you know, were still listened to in the 1970s, it was not exactly embraced much by all generations. Uh, you know, not like how we see all generations at least be aware of the great rock and roll period. And even uh, the newest generation surprises me with how much classic rock they even know and, uh, dare I say, love. Jimi Hendrix is just always going to be one of those special people. Um, definitely on the first page or two of importance when all the histories have been written on uh, the rock and roll era. Uh, no one will ever dispute that he, perhaps more than any other, changed the nature of electric guitar playing. Uh, you know, uh, he just shows up at the right time. Uh, you know, some of that I, I do want to uh, make the suggestion that, you know, timing is everything as they say uh and uh, you know the electric guitar you know born in the the 1930s and 1940s um you know began to be uh, perfected in the 1950s which allowed the players of the 1960s to begin to reach their potential and certainly jimmy is one of the the first that says wow you can really go far with this thing and you see a lot of these metal guitar players that uh, you know have taken that uh those basic techniques that he developed and then expanded on them um, to great effect. Uh, and that's probably why he's still relevant uh, in some ways. Um, you know, so right guy, right time. You know, uh, you know, without doubt, he was innately talented and uh, was gifted with the physical skills to soar with the innate music in his soul. And, I mean, just look at his fingers, okay? That... I remember those pictures when I was a kid. That always astounded me. I, I figured that if you couldn't wrap your digits around a guitar neck like him, you just couldn't be as good. Uh, yeah, not, not exactly sure that's true, uh, you know, but one never knows, huh? And, uh, and what a guy. I think that's something else that we learned. Um, I, I think that's a big takeaway uh, for me. No, nobody has anything but beautiful things to say about the man. Uh... Uh, you know, I, I'm sure he had his moments, uh, and, um, you know, uh, like all people do, but yeah, he, he just comes across as such a chill, um, highly intelligent, very dedicated and very friendly, collaborative and giving musician. Just, um, one of those special kind of people that when you meet, you're like, oh, wow, this is, you know it's like the Dalai Lama or, you know, some holy man in some ways that, you know, there's a, a little bit of an impish quality to them. Um, they're usually quiet, uh, but smiling. And, and I just, I don't know, some ways Hendrix reminds me of that. The proverbial complete package. We all miss him. And especially those uh, who knew him, who we had a chance to speak to many of them um, over the last couple of weeks. Okay, that does it for our Jimi Hendrix November special. Next week, we get back to some regular programming. Uh, up first are some Christmas gift ideas. 
Uh, I sit down with the project editor, Carrie Kanya, of the new David Bowie icon book. It is a big-time coffee table book filled with selective and some never-before-seen photos of Rock's chameleon by many of his closest photographic collaborators like uh, Mick Rock, uh, Masayoshi Sukita, and Terry O'Neill. You know, it's a very special look at the Thin White Duke throughout his career. Uh, Come on back for that one. Okay, until then, kiss the sky and keep up the rocket. Well, my pocket's going through them changes. I feel like I'm committing a crime. Every time you see me going somewhere, I feel I'm about to lose my mind, yeah. Diggs is hosted by Christian Swain. Produced by Christian Swain and Peter Ferrioli. Sound designed by Busy Signal Studios. Engineered by Jerry Danielson, Christy O'Donnell, and Leslie Barker. Find all of our shows, notes, and social links at PantheonPodcast.com. Contact us on social at Pantheon Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Tweet us at Pantheon Pods. All songs can be found used in this podcast for purchase or streaming wherever you get your great music. Please pick up these amazing tracks. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.